it almost feels like you're just in shell shock. And you're like, how do I just go back to business as usual when it's not business as usual? So I don't know how I just go back to like life as normal. And I think you first have to be able to lean back into life before you can even dream again. So how do you even get there, I think is the first thing to work through. And I was given some really good advice by my mom actually. And so she said to me, she goes, how about you start by doing one normal thing a day? I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Jordan Lee Dooley. Jordan is the national best-selling author of Embrace Your Almost and Own Your Everyday and is the host of the top-rated podcast, She. She is also the founder of the Own It Academy, a digital education company, as well as Soul Scripts, a word company known for its phrase, your brokenness is welcome here. I'm super excited to share this conversation that I have with Jordan. So with that said, let's get this conversation going and welcome Jordan Lee Dooley, to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Ah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I'm sorry it's so dark in my room. I was just telling you this. I'm like, you're probably going to hear thunder and lightning. It's like full on storm today. So we'll just have a little sound effects going on. <laughs> well, with everything going on in the world, if that's the worst thing that happens today, I think we are in pretty good shape. And I thoroughly enjoyed reading your book, Embrace the Almost, because I just think at the end of the day, like so many people... Like they struggle with that. Like they struggle with trying to set and achieve a goal and they get so close to achieving that goal or that dream and they almost get there and then something happens and they end up having to pivot or go down a different path. And sometimes people will get caught up in that moment and end up quitting or turning into turning to something else. And I definitely want to get into like that concept. But yeah. I think first I was reading that you got like your entrepreneurial start, like essentially like making motivational messages for your now husband. And that created a business where you had people sharing their deepest, darkest insecurities, problems, fears, like with you in this group. It's been quite some time since that's happened. Like knowing what you know now, and you still are seeing a lot of this stuff kind of come to fruition now, like what are some of the common themes that have that have held true amongst what people have been struggling with, like since you got into that business? It, yeah, like you said, it started off, I was just creatively making letters and things. My husband played college football. And so I was kind of just as a creative outlet, making little pump up notes for him is what we'd call it before games and stuff. And I was hand lettering and making them kind of pretty and, you know, creative. And he made the comments like, you know, you're pretty good at this hand lettering thing. You should start an Etsy store. And I just thought that was kind of a random suggestion. He thought it was going to be a hobby. It turned into a full bone business. But so I first started by just selling a few handmade goods on Etsy. But then I realized I could use social media to kind of share the message about what I was selling on Etsy. And I was a college student, so it was just a fun little side gig. And what I noticed, and I didn't even really do this on purpose, but I just started sharing stories alongside pictures of whatever it was that I created. And sometimes they were stories about body image or relationships or other things that people, you know, walk through. And so I started getting all these messages in return. And I feel like the common themes that I've seen, and it's interesting because it kind of, as my audience has grown up with me, those themes have changed. Um, I think when I first started, the themes were a lot, especially because it was a very female heavy audience. So it was a lot around relationships and finding your partner and body body image and beauty and things like that. And then what was interesting was I feel like now later into adulthood, you know, seven years later, 
I feel like common themes are more insecurity around timing in your life, like not being where you thought you would be is what I hear a lot. Women thinking I thought I'd be married by now or couples thinking we thought we'd have kids by now or we thought we'd have the four bedroom house by now, but we're still in an apartment or, you know, this whole like expectation um, of what life should look like by the time you're 28 or 30 or 27 or whatever. I, I hear that a lot and I resonate with that a lot. And so that's kind of, you know, even what you mentioned about the book, that's kind of what informed this book on not being where you thought you'd be. And even when you put it on all that effort and you do all the right things. And so that's a really common theme that I see. And I think that creates, and I've seen that that creates a lot of insecurity, a lot of questions of what's wrong with me? Why is it working out so easily for other people and not for myself? So I would say that's a resounding theme. I think especially through those younger adult years, I don't want to say young adult, because I think young adults like 18 to 22, but you're also not like older into your adult years. It's in those establishing years as you're in your 20s and 30s, building your career, trying to find your people, growing a family, establishing a home. All of that, I think, can create a lot of expectations that are not quite met when it comes to the timeline for your life or society's expectations for your life or what you thought you would be doing at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see that so much now, and especially with with social media, it becomes much easier to compare yourself and feel this level of insecurity because you're not where you thought you would be or you're not where somebody else that you're following is or your neighbor, or your coworker. So so let's get into it a little bit. Like I know I'm um, just from reading your book and just paying attention to what you've been posting online. Like I know that you've had some dreams that just haven't come true. You've had some things in life that you had going for you and you almost got there, but then something happened. What's been the, the biggest one? that has been, been the biggest like teacher for you, the one that you thought you were gonna achieve this, this massive thing of success personally and professionally that you fell short on or something tragic happened. Like what was that? And then what was the step-by-step process on how you recalibrated yourself to be able to move forward? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think there, there's been a handful of different experiences like that, some professional, some personal, but I think, and even the book touches on this, I think the one that was really the most pivotal for me and really, or what I would even call like the defining moment, because I really think sometimes our greatest disappointments can be, they feel like dead ends, but they can also be defining moments, right? They think they're things that feel like you're running to a wall, but then you really turn and you realize like, oh, I need to be going this way anyway. In my life, that was recurrent pregnancy loss, um, thinking, like, oh, great, we're gonna have a family, like just check that box, right? And then having that so like tragically ripped away multiple times was really shocking. I mean, I was 25 thinking I'm young, I'm healthy, there's no reason this wouldn't work out. And to have kind of something that was part of my vision for my life, knowing, you know, I'm gonna have a business and we're married and we're gonna have a family, like this is what we expect, this is what you do next, right? Um, To have that so tragically and shockingly ripped away was awful in every way. I'm not trying to like glaze through the trauma and grief of something like that. But just to answer your question, you know, looking back at there was a period where I just had multiple back to back. And there was really, I I think I look at that season as a turning point where I really started to look at life differently. I really started to reevaluate what am I doing and why am I doing and what do I actually value? Because before, up until that point, and I think the one downside to having a lot of things work out early in your life, a lot of business or professional success early in your life is you kind of get used to this idea that if I just do all the right things, things will work out how I want. And then you find yourself in a situation when you're like, I've been doing all the right things and things are blowing up in my face. What am I supposed to do with that? And so I had to kind of learn how to reconcile that and come to terms with that. And, you know, there's still days where I still am like, 
still don't get it, still doesn't make sense, still isn't fair. But at the same time, it really was the thing I think that shifted my perspective on really what I want out of life, what I value. Cause I was just, you know, when nothing's going wrong and things are working out, you just kind of keep going and you're on a hamster wheel to the next achievement, the next milestone, the next goal. And it wasn't until something really stopped me dead in my tracks and really threw me off course that I, for the first time, kind of took inventory of where are we going? What am I valuing here? So I guess to answer the follow-up question of kind of what the next steps looked like, it was a slow crawl out of a very dark place and a lot of questions. I mean, for me, it really started to become a lot of questions that I started asking and, and making some shifts to my lifestyle, making some shifts to how I was working, really considering what do I actually want out of life? Because I've never really paused long enough to ask myself that because I've just been, my business started growing in college. It took off and I just kept going. And three, four, five years in, I was suddenly like thrown off course and I was forced to ask those questions of where am I putting my energy? How am I spending my time? What really matters to me? And that really is, I think, that process of asking those questions, of being willing to lean into the discomfort of something so painful and the disruption that it created in my life and in my timeline and my expectations. I think that's what really started to make it a defining moment for me. And, you know, it's not like, okay, well, one and done, it's over, we're good, moving on. But it really set me up to start working in a more sustainable way and to asking some of those questions that I think I needed to be asking the whole time. And interestingly enough, by doing that is how I began to be able to move forward with more clarity, more intention, more focus on what I actually value. Because I think we live in a world that's shouting at us like, you can have it all, you can do it all at the same time. And I learned pretty quickly oh my gosh, like maybe that's not actually healthy and I need to consider what I value most and what's important to me and what I actually want because the world's going to tell me I need everything. So hopefully that answers your question, but that was kind of the the turning point for sure. Thanks for for being so open and vulnerable and, and sharing that. And I'm like really sorry, obviously, that that you went through all that and at least delighted to hear that you've, you're, you're taking some of these moments that have been so painful for you and you're not only... Um, finding the silver lining in it for yourself, but you're sharing your story to help other people. And with that said, I know like your faith has been a foundation for you for, for quite some time. And I think there's this polarity between believers and non-believers. And I think this is one of these, one of those moments where non-believers will get caught up and say, well, see, like I told you, like if God is real and God is about love and God is good and God cares about you, then why would these things happen? How has some of these um, traumatic moments, such as the pregnancy troubles that you've gone through, like how has that impacted your faith? Did you ever begin to question God? Like what did that all look like? Yeah. um, Especially when it happened more than once, you know, I think sometimes when one hard thing happens, you kind of think, well, okay, that's a fluke, you know, but I think when you feel like you're experiencing a recurrent trauma or hardship that you just can't seem to escape, no matter what you do, that's where the questioning really starts to come in. And I would be totally lying if I didn't say there wasn't times where I was like, I mean, what? Like, and, and, and got angry and really started to go, I don't know if I want to believe this anymore because, you know, I think it can be really hard to, and this is just honest and raw. It it can be harder. I think at times to think there's, if you believe God's in control, if that's part of your belief system, which I would say has always been a part of mine, I have a really hard time. I had a, I had a really hard time wrapping my head around how can someone who's in control 
be like pulling the strings and allowing this to happen, right? It's easier to think it's all just random chance, right? And so I, there's been absolutely times where I felt like I just want to believe this has nothing to do with anyone in control and it's just random and it's bad luck and whatever because it felt less painful. Right. And so I guess in my case, yeah, there's absolutely been times. And I think that's only normal. And I think the polarity happens because a lot of times believers are really uncomfortable with going there, with saying, wait a second. As much as I've believed all this stuff, whatever, when it's when like push comes to shove and now my feet are to the fire, it really makes me question some of this stuff. And I think if God is as big as we believe him to be, then we've got to understand, like, I think he can handle us asking those hard questions. And so I think the the polarity can start to go away a little bit when believers lean into that discomfort of saying, yeah, that is a part of the whole character of God thing that I don't understand entirely. And I may never understand on this side of heaven. And there may be things, part of the reason it's called faith isn't because I'm not going to have any doubt. Like there's the line, um, oh, who says it? Andy Minio. He has a song and it says, the opposite of faith isn't doubt. It's when I think I have it all figured out. And I think that's the bottom line problem when believers are like, well, I just know God is good and everything's figured out. I think that's where the polarity happens versus like, yeah, let's lean into that. There's things about the character of God and his plans and things that are happening that I don't understand. And from my perspective, things look really bad. I can try to trust that there's something bigger happening and that there's a purpose in hard things, but man, I don't get it. And I think the more we're honest about that and lean into that, the more we can bridge that gap. And I think the healthier, at least in my experience, I think the more I gave myself the permission to be angry, to doubt, to ask the questions, to even push away a little bit. Like there's been times where I'm like, me and God, not on speaking terms right now, you know, because I don't necessarily want to turn away, but I also don't really want to look at you, you know? And in those moments, I think because I've allowed myself to do that, my faith has become more and more authentic and more personal because I think about it like a relationship. And I think about if I felt like my husband did something that I didn't understand or that seemed to hurt me, and I maybe didn't have all the information, but from where I sat, it was hurtful. I would need to wrestle through that. We'd have to have some hard conversations. I wouldn't just be like, well, you're awesome. It's fine. You know? And so that's how a healthy relationship works in many ways, at least in my opinion. So I look back and I'm like, man, I think even though before I thought my faith was so strong and it was so great, but I hadn't walked through anything, anything that made me doubt it, any kind of hardship. So I think walking through the hardship has taken it deeper versus keeping it at the surface level with all the cliches and the right things to say. It's become much more personal. It's become more authentic. It's become, I think, just deeper in many ways than it was before. And there's still some gaps I don't have the answers to. And I think I've gotten okay with sitting in the tension of not knowing the answers to everything. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Organifi. As you know, Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers that contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving. Recently, I have been loving the refreshing taste of the new Organifi green juice, Crisp Apple. That's right, Crisp Apple. It comes with all the benefits you've come to love in the classic green juice with a new juicy twist. Enjoy the same fan-favorite nourishing ingredients such as ashwagandha, moringa, spirulina, and chlorella, designed to hydrate, energize, and support cortisol balance. The new green juice crisp apple is made with organic, wholesome, hand-picked apples and tastes like a fresh, juicy slice in every sip, making it the first of its kind the whole family will absolutely love. It's only available for a limited time, so make sure to stock up now and take advantage of this nourishing green juice that tastes absolutely divine. So go to www.organifi.com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. 
That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off any item. If you suffer from digestive issues like gas, bloating, cramping, even when you're eating healthy, nutritious foods, then you could probably benefit from a high quality enzyme. If you've never tried enzymes or even if you've tried and they haven't worked, I want you to give this one a chance. As you know, I'm a big fan of the company Bioptimizers. They are one of the few supplement companies who have the best formulations and use the highest quality ingredients and their products work. I asked them if we could organize a great deal for all of my listeners and they over-delivered. Right now, you can get a bottle of Mazimes for free. All you need to do is pay a small shipping fee and there's no catch. There's no tricks, no forced continuity, and nothing to cancel. They are so confident in their products that they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee, so I'm positive you'll be satisfied with the results. Mazimes is a 17-enzyme full-spectrum formula, plus it contains all the key enzymes needed for optimal digestion. So many individuals suffer from digestive issues because any protein your body doesn't break down can lead to digestive distress, gas, bloating, and constipation. Mazimes can help ensure that all the protein that you consume breaks down into absorbable amino acids. So I strongly suggest that you head on over to their site to grab your bottle before they either run out or take down this offer. Go to mazimes.com slash free. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S dot com forward slash free, which is all one word. And you will automatically get access to your unique coupon code to claim your free bottle. Limit one per household. Offer is valid while supplies last. You're going to love their products. So go now. Now let's get back to the show. I got a book recommendation that I'll give to you uh, when we get done. But like along those those things that you were just talking about. And I think you're right. I think the people that are like, yeah, it's, everything's going to be okay. Like God's got my back. I think that becomes almost like Pollyanna and like almost like a toxic positivity because you're, you're, you might be saying that and somebody next to you might not even believe in God. And like you're saying, and you're saying that after your, your dog just like tragically died and they're like, wait, what? Like your dog just died. Like, what do you mean? Everything's going to be okay. Like everything's not okay. And I think it's important <laughs> to be able to accept that like in that moment, like things aren't okay and it's okay to be pissed. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to feel a certain way. You know, I think that's all like normal human behavior. And I think one of the other things that, can become, I don't want to say it's toxic positivity. I don't know if that's the right word, but it can become like misunderstood is like now there's this, this idea and you talk about it in your book that like pain turns into purpose or so we go through pain to gain something from it. And I think that's all true. Like as you look back at in some of our most painful moments, it's pretty easy to see that, okay, I can see how this built me to where I am now. I can see how this taught me this, but we're in the thick of it. It's like, we don't want to hear anything like that. It's, so I think it's pretty easy to go back and say, okay, these moments have shaped you, but what would you tell yourself? Like knowing how you were feeling in those moments when you were, you know, whether it was losing a child or something that didn't work out in business, like to help you embrace that pain yeah. and stay optimistic that something good was going to come from it. You know, through my own kind of ongoing recurrent, you know, loss that I experienced and stuff, I really started to wrestle with that, that sentiment of there's a reason for everything. Because I think sometimes when we think about, oh, purpose can come from pain, we often think, oh, the pain had to happen so I could find this or whatever. I don't know if I 100% now think like everything happens for a reason. But what I do think I've learned and that I would go back and tell myself is like sometimes unreasonable things happen. We live in a broken world. Sometimes just tragedy is random and it happens and it doesn't make sense. And it's not because you did something to deserve it or because it's a punishment, although sometimes we think that. Um, 
and it may not necessarily even happen for a reason we'll ever necessarily get to define, but meaning can be found in it and you can find that. And so I think if anything, I'd go back and like I mentioned at the beginning, I really believe that the thing that feels like the greatest dead end is often our most defining moment. And so I think I would just remind myself of that. I'd be like, hey, this feels like a dead end or another dead end. But you can like, and right now you're allowed to feel that because I, I purposely chose the word embrace too, even for the title of the book, not to say like, you know, make the most of it and be happy. That's part of it. But part of embracing is actually like being where you are and allowing yourself to wrestle and to work through. Otherwise I would say like ignore the almost, right? So it's not to say like, Hey, put it over here and then go be like singing Kumbaya and happy. It's to say like, wrestle through it, work through it, be angry. Like you've got to go through those steps. So I think I'd first give myself permission to be like, you can be pissed right now. You can be angry. You can wrestle. You can ask the hard questions. You can shut down if you need to. Just don't stay there. Because remember, as much as this feels like a dead end, wherever you're going to turn, you will find meaning in if you look for it. doesn't mean that this thing that was really bad is suddenly good, but we will find meaning again. So just don't forget to like look over to the side and see where you can go next, because this could be a really beautiful turning point in your story that will lead you somewhere awesome. So I think just, but, but the permission has to come first. Because if someone just tells me like, hey, Something good will be born out of this. When you're in it, you don't hear that. So the permission to to wrestle through that, to take your time with that, I think is part of what makes it a defining moment. You know, it's what ma- it's what brings the character out. It's what brings the the growth, the the learning, the knowledge, the understanding, the empathy, the things that can come out of that. Um, but if you don't work through that and you just turn and go, okay, what good can I find in this? You actually don't really, I think, have the depth you need to be able to handle the next level or the next place that you're going to step into. So anyways, it's kind of a two-part answer. Absolutely. Because I think one of the things is you have to be able to accept yeah. like that moment of pain and just say, okay, like I know that what I'm going through right now, it sucks. It's not easy. It's challenging, but I'm going to do everything I can to get through it. You know, I'm going to lean in on my friends. I'm going to, you know, maintain my faith. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do yoga, like whatever your toolkit looks like. like I'm going to stick to that and be as consistent with it as possible day in and day out. And I think one of the other things that's, that's super important through all that, and I know you do, you feel this way as well, is like the way we talk to ourselves. And I think oftentimes we, our perception of ourselves gets hijacked based on the lies that we continue to tell ourselves. So maybe in the last year or so, like after you got done writing the book, like what is a one lie or two, one, one or two lies that you've believed about yourself that you've had to unlearn and change and how did you go about doing that? The one downside, I think sometimes to sharing your story publicly before you get to a happy ending, because I think it's a lot more comfortable to share your story once you're like, that happened, I'm good now, <laughs> we're good, you know? But there's also a lot of beauty in sharing your story before you get to the happy ending, because that's where most people are. That was what was interesting about this book is it didn't end with this like tied up in a pretty little bow kind of ending. But the downside to that is I think in my own experience, I have found sometimes when you share your story, especially publicly, but just in general, with a whole lot of people, you start to feel like your identity becomes that story. I think I started to believe, oh, I'm just the miscarriage girl. Because what started to happen is I started to get a lot of questions from people asking for advice on what tests to do and what, and and I wanted to help them, but I was also like, yo, like I'm still in the middle of this. And so it really started to weigh on me of like, oh, this is how people see me now. They no longer see Jordan, the successful business owner and Jordan, the author and Jordan, the wife and Jordan, the eventual mother. They're seeing Jordan, the person who's lost pregnancies, because that's such a big part of my story. And so 
I think I internalized that and I began to believe the lie of like, well, this is who I am online and my work, like this is the main part of my story. This is what people have connected with. And so I've had to really work through like, wait, 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 like this is a small chapter of my story. And this is a an event that has happened. It's not the end of the road. It's not like the dead end, even though it feels like it has been. And I'm not defined by the struggle. And I think a lot of times we believe lies like that. Like we get so invested in trying to solve our struggle that we start to identify with the struggle, especially when the struggle is ongoing, when it's like, wow, this just keeps happening, or this is something I thought would be over by now. It's hard not to identify with. So at least in my life, I think I started to make that a large part of my identity just subconsciously and just based off of how people were approaching me and what conversations I was having. So for me, like working through that has been a process. Um, I even share about this in the book. There was an activity that I did that I had to kind of like reapply as I started to realize like, wow, I've really identified with this. And the story was, I'll tell it briefly, but I was out working in my yard and at the time we owned three acres and we had some like big planting beds and there were some massive weeds, like weeds that were as tall as me. They had just grown all summer. I had neglected them. So when I went to go try to pull them out, like it was not just like pulling a weed. It was a process. It was a wrestle. And I remember getting really frustrated. And for whatever reason, something my therapist had told me popped into my brain. She said to me one time, because I told her some of the stuff I had been thinking, she said, be careful how often you think things or how much you think something, because it only takes 200 thoughts to become a belief. And so a lot of times when I start to believe a lie, I have to go back to that and go, have I believed this? Like more, have I thought this more than a couple of times? Because if so, it's very likely that it's starting to ingrain in my mind and my heart as a belief, not just a thought. And I realized like, yeah, there's some things I've, I've really started to believe. So when I was working in the, in the yard that day and I was trying to get these weeds out, I decided to do something that would just be significant of like the first step toward trying to uproot that lie. Obviously it takes work, but just metaphorically, I just decided I'm going to assign each one of these big weeds. There was like five or six of them. I'm going to assign each one of these a lie. And so the first one was like, this is the lie that God's forgotten about me. And somehow I like found this superhuman strength and was able to get it out. I mean, it took some, some really intense pulling and almost broke my back, but you know, there was this determination that came when I did that little activity and I was able to get each one out slowly. Some of them I needed to use a shovel for, but the point was like, I was so determined to get them out because they were suddenly more than weeds. They were significant of stuff that had been growing in me. And so as I, you know, more recently in the last year or so started to like identify with that struggle and feel like, like, especially once I put it in a book, it's like, Oh, this is how people see me now. I kind of had to go back to that and be like, I've got to uproot some of this stuff and replace it and plant like truth back in its place of like, no, you're so much more than that. And so um, sometimes even physical, I guess my point is like sometimes in my life when I get really stuck in a lie, sometimes like a physical activity, whether that's decluttering or pulling big weeds, like something that is just significant of removing the lies that you identify that you're believing can just be a really pivotal first step to deciding. And just, I think even just the willingness to decide what you're going to allow to take root in your life and what you're not is it puts a lot of power back in your hands. It's very empowering. It's kind of a pivotal moment of saying like, oh yeah, I do have some say over what I believe and what I don't. Cause I think a lot of times we begin to subconsciously just believe things. And that's at least what my experience was. And that's just even a simple activity like that has been helpful for me just in starting to turn that narrative a little bit. Right. Yeah. I think that's all super helpful and it makes total sense. And you strike me as somebody who's pretty self-aware at this point. You spend a lot of time in prayer and like meditative practice where you're thinking about this stuff. Like, and you you mentioned a a few minutes ago that like a lot of these thoughts or lies get essentially like ingrained in your subconscious. And I think part of what people struggle with is they're just so unaware that it's actually part of their subconscious and they're just walking around life telling themselves lies every single day and they have no idea that they're doing it. So what are some ways that somebody can, can discover 
if if they're, they're telling themselves like a lie that is having like a negative impact in their life personally or professionally yeah i, I that's huge because i think that's the bit the biggest thing is first acknowledging what it is and yeah. finding it right i think that's why the physical activity can be helpful because it's just a sense of acknowledgement it's like calling it out into the light and i think it's different for all of us for some of us we find it just through like writing down our thoughts some people are verbal processors so if you generally like are someone who processes your feelings and thoughts verbally or with words, I think either journaling or just trying to like connect with a friend. Like this has been really helpful for me. And even if you're not, even if it's not as natural for you to verbally process, I have found that sometimes it's helpful to journal and like be more self-aware, but sometimes you need other people to identify that for you. The reason I was able to discover, like, I think I'm identifying with this and I didn't even realize that's what I'm believing was because I talked with another friend who had walked through something similar and mentioned like, it's so hard not to identify with your struggle. And she kind of pulled that out of me. So I think my encouragement is you may be a journaler or a meditator or somebody who can find those things. And some of those lies I discovered myself, but some of those ones that just kind of sit there in your subconscious and you don't even realize you're believing them. I think it's really important to try to lean into conversations. If you're not even sure, but you're like, if you've just been feeling like crap about yourself and you don't know why or about your life, your situation, there's probably some underlying beliefs that have started to just kind of like sit there and simmer. So it can be really helpful to just get into conversation with a mentor, a friend who's maybe walked a similar journey or who's walked alongside you, a spouse, and just like brain dump stuff and say like, hey, I'm just going to brain dump all the thoughts that I think on a daily basis or that have been clouding my mind. And can you tell me if anything alarms you or is a red flag that comes out as a lie? Because sometimes other people who care about us but also aren't in our heads can help us kind of pick through and work through and sift through the things that we feel and help us differentiate between that's an emotion. That's a lie you're believing. Whoa, red flag. So at least in my experience, I've definitely identified some just through journaling and just thinking about stuff. But a lot of times it can be helpful to just have conversations and have conversations with people who you are, maybe it's a therapist, maybe it isn't a close friend. My therapist brought up some stuff for me too, but to really be able to say like, let me just brain dump all the stuff I've been feeling, the way I've been thinking about life, the way I've been seeing myself. And just tell me if there's anything that like strikes you as a red flag or that you think we need to work through. And I can guarantee you almost every time there will be somebody who's like, that's something that is a problem, you know, and then you have the awareness and then you can start working through it. That's some solid advice. And I love that process that you just explained, because I think it's going to be helpful for a lot of people who are looking to see not only if there's something like this that's going on, that's kind of holding them back, but also like, what's the path forward? Yeah. I know one of the mindsets that kind of held you back has been your idea of what success looks like. You, you touched on it like earlier on our conversation that after that defining moment you had, it changed how you viewed success. How did you view success up until that moment? And then what did success look like after that moment? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think up until walking through some intense suffering, which does, I think, really refine you and redefine success. I think I just viewed success as like checking off all the boxes in life blazing through milestones, one achievement after the other. And those things can be, you know, satisfying, but I think afterwards I started to identify successes what's enriching in my life. What is aligned with my values? Because I think when we start chasing success and we just see it as the next level, the next revenue goal, the next achievement, the next, you know, award, whatever it may be, we really can get really quickly, we really quickly can get out of alignment with the things we actually value, the things that are actually important to us. And so I had to go back to the basics of, hold on, what do I actually value in life? And for me, it really started to come down to, do I feel good? Like, am I taking care of my health and well-being, Or is that being sacrificed on the altar of success? So it really became, I guess the clearest way I can say it is success for me became 
having health and well-being as a priority, more so than money or business growth or whatever, as well as prioritizing my family and having a really clear like purpose driving the goals that I set, learning and knowing how to define enough so that every goal I pursued was in alignment with something that was of value to me, not just arbitrary. Because before success was hitting the, you know, seven figure milestone or hitting this or that. And I didn't really know why it just sounded good. It was because other people were doing it. And I think a lot of us pursue arbitrary goals because we think they sound good or because the world tells us they're great or because Instagram showed us an ad and told us we should. So I guess now it's like, I don't really feel like what success is, is checking off all the boxes and getting everything I want. It's really making sure that anything that I am saying yes to is in alignment with and supporting the priorities in my life, which is my family and my health and well-being. And it sounds so simple, but when we're on a fast track to success and we're working hard and we're overworked and we're just going, 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 we lose sight of that really fast. And I know I did. And so it just brought me back to, okay, maybe I'll have slower growth. Maybe I'm okay with growing slow. Maybe I don't want 24 people on my team. Maybe I'm okay with like a small team and a lifestyle that is really supported by my work, not just like I don't even have time for because I'm just achieving the next thing. So it just really became more lifestyle focused and more purpose focused than growth and achievement and, you know, all the things that we think sound good, but don't actually really fulfill us by any means. That external validation will never fulfill us internally. Right. And I think you hear a lot of that now. And I want to dive deeper into that. So like, how were you feeling during this moment where you had this epiphany I'm not, not specifically, I'm not talking about like how you felt like after losing a child. I meant the epiphany of when you realized that success just wasn't driven by these metrics that you thought it was like, how were you feeling? And then what were some of the initial things you did to like rediscover, like what these things were that were going to be the new thing you gauge your success on? I think I felt a little bit lied to, and I don't know by who, just by whatever belief that was, I felt like man, like, thank God I I noticed this, but I feel like I've lost a lot of time. Just when you go through suffering, it does give you perspective. When you are that close to life and death, especially within your own body, which is like a very weird phenomenon, but you're alive. It is a really like, whoa, what actually matters here kind of moment. And um, I think if anything, I just felt kind of like, man, I lost sight of why I even started all this. Like we just get so caught up in what we're doing. At least I did. And I think I just felt a little bummed, but also like relieved that I realized that, you know, because I think I saw this trajectory of like, I could have just kept going in this, like, and I would have worked myself into the ground and had all this material stuff and all of the accolades or the whatever I thought was important. And I would have missed so much. And so it was this kind of like odd feeling of, man, I can't believe like I totally lost sight of that, but also like, thank God I'm seeing it now. It took some time um, and some exploration and some conversations and and just kind of giving myself a, I, I kind of took some breathing room, honestly. And I was also like working through, you know, healing and grief and all that comes with it. But in the process, because I kind of took a step back and looked at everything kind of from a broader view rather than being caught up in all of it, what I started to really do is, so one thing that I talk about in the book was I first defined like, what is my priority? And I had to kind of revisit the word priority because in my mind, up until that point, I had priorities and everything was a priority, which meant nothing was. Everything was a priority in terms of work and everything else. And um, I had to go back to like, priority was originally meant to be like a singular word. Um, that's in the book, Essentialism. The author talks quite a bit about that. And so I'm like, well, how do you just have, and I wrestled with this. I thought, how do you just have one priority when you have all these responsibilities, right? Like my marriage is a priority. My house is a priority. My business is a priority. So I was really wrestling with this. And then what I decided to do is 
in order to really make sure that something really clear was driving the things that I said yes to, the things that I took on, the projects I did say, like I just wanted to be more intentional about how I pursued work and goals and revenue and all the things, I started to design, define what was a present priority. And what I mean by present priority is something in the next six months or so of my life, six months, 12 months, in that short-term window that gives me something clear. So at the time I realized, okay, my health, my body has taken a beating. I had just been through multiple losses. I was going through some testing, finding I had adrenal fatigue and thyroid dysfunction, all these things. I'm like, oh my gosh, stress has taken a toll on my body. Grief has taken a toll on my body. Physical like loss has taken a toll on my body. So my present priority at the time became health and healing. And so then I had to take inventory of my life. It wasn't that suddenly my business no longer mattered or my home was no longer a responsibility or anything like that. The question became less of how do I do all these things and balance them? And it instead became, how do I make sure that all of these areas of responsibility in my life are supporting my health and healing and not taking away from it? So then I started to make some really hard decisions and it took some time, but for one thing, we sold our house. And that was like a really big decision, but we did that because originally we bought the house thinking this is going to be our Chip and Joanna Gaines fixer-upper, we're going to make it our homestead, and and it became a really big stressor in our lives. And I'm like, this is not contributing to my health and healing. This is exhausting. This is a ton of work. This is not healthy. So we made some big changes in life to start to better support the present priority that I had identified in the short term. And I made some changes in my business. I, I shrunk some things. I said, you know what? I've been so focused on growth for so many years that I'm actually going to be okay with maintaining for a bit. I don't see that as playing small. I see that as making choices that support my priority. And so I just started to make sure that the things in my life, first I defined a present priority for that six to 12 month window. And then I started to make sure that the other responsibilities and things in my life aligned with that. And if they didn't, they either needed to change somehow or they needed to be let go. And that's hard. I mean, it took me some time to decide like to sell my home because I had a vision for that. I thought that was going to be where we raised our family and turn into our family home. So I'm not saying this is like a quick overnight process, but slowly over time, I started to have to make the hard decisions to say what supports the priority I've defined and what doesn't and what needs to change in order to make sure that it does. Yeah. That's so well said because I think it's not it's not this easy like overnight process where you're like, oh, like I thought all this was what the meaning of life was and then now all of a sudden it's this and I'm just going to live my life just according to this checklist now instead of that checklist. I mean, life's not that simple, right? There's there's so much more that goes it's into like a process. it. Yeah, it's a, it's a long process and a journey. And I guess given like all the pain that you've endured throughout the miscarriages and the toll it took on your health, the toll it took on your business, the toll it took on your family and everything else that goes along with that. Like, like how have you learned to like dream again with that? Like, like where are you at in that process? Like, are, are you somebody, I mean, you mentioned like be, that you want to become a mom and that's still obviously like in the back of your mind, but like, how did you build the courage with inside of you to begin to have that dream again? I mean, it's scary, especially with that. Like, it, it t- I had to take some time. I gave myself a lot of time to be like, we're going to just pause, you know, because I needed to work through a lot. But I was given some advice that really at least helped me take some of those first steps. Because I think a lot of times when our plans or something really important to us gets kind of disrupted or even just blows up in our face it almost feels like you're just in shell shock. And you're like, how do I just go back to business as usual when it's not business as usual? Something has really thrown me a curveball or really hurt or thrown me off course. And I don't know how I just go back to like life as normal. And I think you first have to be able to lean back into life before you can even dream again. So how do you even get there, I think is the first thing to work through. And I was given some really good advice by my mom, actually, because I remember, especially, I think it was my second loss. And I was just like, 
how are we here again? You know, and at that point I was further along, like we thought everything was working out. And she gave me some advice because I just said like, I don't know how I even go back to life. I have no motivation. Nothing seems important comparatively. I don't care. Um, the things I thought were so important with work and goals and everything just seems so insignificant. And so she said to me, she goes, how about you start by doing one normal thing a day? And I remember thinking like, that sounds super trite. <laughs> what do you mean? And she was like, you know, you almost have no motivation to really do much of anything and nothing feels, everything feels bleak right now. So I'm not suggesting that you just throw yourself back into life and start dreaming and planning and doing all the things again, because like you said, there's no motivation for that. So what she suggested was make a list for like a week. And she said, for example, and set yourself one small goal that will feel good to accomplish or do each day for like seven days, just to get yourself out of the rut. And so that's what I did. I said, okay, on Monday, I'm going to go to dinner with a friend and I'm going to go out and like be somewhere. The next day I'm going to like work out again because I haven't worked out in a few weeks. And the next day I'm going to respond, like zero out my inbox because I haven't really done a lot of work emails. Point being, it seems so trite, but sometimes the point is like those little steps at a time to like come back from a blow like that and just feel a little normal again can be really, really helpful. Or it may not be where you were just like thrown off course by a tragedy, right? So like one normal thing a day may not necessarily apply in every situation, but if you had a dream go sideways that was like career oriented or, you know, something that was like, that didn't work out the first time. So I've kind of put it on the back burner because I don't necessarily want to try opening the bakery again because that failed the first time or whatever. Maybe it's not like a full blown loss or tragedy in your life, but it, it set you back or whatever. Then instead of that, the ones I, I call it the one step a day list. So there's been times in my life where I had to get a dream off the back burner because I'm like, okay, I need to take one step closer each day. I'm not necessarily ready to dive into the deep end and do it all overnight because the last time that didn't work out very well, or I was burned by it or whatever, but how can I take one small step at a time to get me closer and closer to that? So maybe it's one day a week for the next five weeks or one step every day for the next five days, but just finding like small ways to get that off the back burner. So, I mean, I'm happy to give an example with that, but this idea of like one normal thing a day, if you're just trying to recover from a really hard blow in life and just feel normal again so that you can eventually dream again, or one step a day toward the dream that maybe has been on the back burner because the first time you tried it didn't work out or you're doubting yourself or whatever. That approach seems so trite and silly when you're thinking about it in the big picture, but when you're in it, Sometimes it's the only thing that will get you back to being able to dream again, to get you back to that place where you feel a little bit more life again, you know, because otherwise it's just like you can get so trapped in the discouragement that you don't even know where to go from there. And so giving yourself a little bit of direction in that way is what eventually leads to being able to dream and being able to believe again. Right. Absolutely. And I, and I love like how you answered that because I think it is important when something traumatic happens to just focus on like what you can control and just taking some small steps to getting back to some way of normalcy in your life, I think is the the ultimate um, hack, if you will, to kind of getting yourself back to some level of baseline. I mean, you'll hear some people say, I think, well, you shouldn't have had your hopes so high or you shouldn't have had your expectations so high. But I, I think that that's not true. Like I believe like something like, I mean, let's just say you're, you propose to like the love of your life and you guys are planning to get married and the day before your your wedding, the wedding gets called off, right? Or something happens as traumatic as what you went through or, or something else where like, I think it's a normal human response with something as important as that to have these, these high levels of, of, of hope, expectations, like dopamine. But I think what separates people and how they handle those things is like you said, like, like how do you respond afterwards? 
Yeah. Well, and I also think like, I, I love that you brought that up because I think a lot of times when plans go sideways or we really have really painful unmet expectations, we often assume either because other people have told us or just because we've kind of grown to believe that we must have had unrealistic expectations. And I would argue a lot of times our expectations are perfectly reasonable. It was perfectly reasonable for me to think, okay, we're having a baby. You know, it's perfectly reasonable to think, okay, I'm getting married next week. Like it's perfectly reasonable to assume a lot of things based off of what's happening in your life. And when all of a sudden that goes sideways, that's not necessarily because your expectations were unrealistic. Sometimes it's because life doesn't make sense and crap happens and it's not fair. And so I I love that you brought that up because I I really try to remind people of that because we tend to believe like, well, if if I have unmet expectations, they must have been unrealistic. And in reality, that's not always the case. And the one other thing I was going to add too is what I found when when I tried that little exercise just to get back to some sense of normalcy and feeling like myself again, I set a a schedule for myself just so I had something to look forward to each day, just because nothing felt exciting. And what was interesting was by day like three or four of doing that, I caught myself feeling like I could do more normal things each day. It wasn't like it really took me five weeks to do one normal thing a day. And finally, you know, even just doing that for a couple days in a row for me, it was like within a week, I was like, oh, and I want to go to lunch with so-and-so and oh, I've got this work project. Like I started to feel more and more motivated because I just started with one small step. And so, yeah, I just, but I just wanted to echo what you said, because I do think that's a really important thing to keep in mind and also not to discourage yourself from taking those small steps. Even if you felt like your your expectations were, were unrealistic, like when it gets blown up, it doesn't matter. Like it is so hard to recover from and we just start reeling. And so giving yourself the permission to do even the thing that feels kind of trite might be the really critical step to slowly getting back to doing the things that you really want to be doing. Yeah. Amen to that. I mean, and then, and I also want to say like that there are, there are certain things where you can have like an, an unrealistic expectation, right? Like if you're going on a first date with somebody and there's like 57 red flags and you're expecting marriage, I mean, like that's a pretty unrealistic expectation, right? But yeah. I think as the the examples that that you were hinting at a few minutes ago, I mean, those are perfectly normal and, and realistic expectations. And I want to go into like the idea of your book, like Embrace Your Almost, right? And I think that it's a, it's a phenomenal thing to for people to implement into their lives. But I, I also like wanted to ask, like, what's the difference between like embracing your almost? Like, how does somebody know that they're doing that and not just settling, like not just yeah. being OK with like the status quo? So the subtitle is finding clarity and contentment in the in-betweens, not quite and unknowns, which when something does disrupt your life or your plans don't go how you thought or you have unmet expectations, a lot of times you find yourself in kind of this subsequent season of like, well, what's going to happen now? Is this ever going to work out? Where do I go from here? Right. It's this in between. It's this unknown. So the whole contentment piece, I think, is where we get kind of caught up because it's like, what does contentment really look like? And what I've really found is a lot of times I think we mistakenly think contentment and complacency are kind of similar or that if you're content, you're at risk of being complacent. So what I think is important to remember is that contentment is active. Complacency is passive. So if you use a metaphor of like climbing a mountain, for example, and let's say you are on your way to the summit and that's the destination you hope to be. Maybe it's married, maybe it's promoted, maybe it's something else. So you're you're on your way, but it's taking a while and you've been rerouted and detoured and whatever else. And complacency looks like sitting down and saying, well, screw this. It's never going to happen. Forget it. And I'm just going to sit here and pout, right? Contentment, on the other hand, is saying, 
this journey is getting really long. I'm actually feeling very over it. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to have a picnic. I'm going to try to bring a friend along. I'm going to lean into trying to make this a little more enjoyable, trying to make this a little less miserable, right? Like, but it's active. It's actively looking for ways to make the most of the middle when you don't want to be in the middle anymore versus throwing in the towel and saying, forget it, I'm out. So, and again, there are times to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to let this go. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I think when you know, like, no, I know I need to keep pursuing this. It's not time to bow out. I know this is something that I'm designed for or called to or whatever. It really is just determining, like, am I getting passive about this? Or am I actively looking for ways to make this journey, even if it's long and upside down and hard, a little bit more meaningful? That might look like, you know, for me, when I found myself after multiple losses going, okay, well, I need to pause because I need to figure out what's going on, but I also need to heal and I don't want to quit on this journey. I'm only 26, but like I need to take some time. You know, I took some time. I took a year or two years to lean into different ways that I could grow and make the journey a little and the journey to healing and everything a little more purposeful and a little less horrible because it feels hard when you're not where you thought you would be. And so, you know, ways to do that might be finding a hobby that produces fruit. And what I mean by that is something you can enjoy. So rather than just like going for walks or like reading as much as those things can be leisurely and enjoyable, there's not really like an end product that you can enjoy or use or gift at that versus something that feels productive, like a DIY project in your home or baking and gifting those baked goods to friends or something that there's like an outcome to celebrate is really rewarding, especially for busybodies like myself. Um, so finding a hobby or serving, sometimes serving even in the area of your pain um, can be really healing, even though it's really hard and it's a way to really bring meaning into the mess and the mayhem, if you will. Doing something you've always wanted to do, like checking off a bucket list item for us that was riding in a hot air balloon, you know, um, maybe it's a trip, something you've always wanted to do, learning new things, like leaning into, I leaned into asking my dad, how do you play poker and why does everyone love poker? Like I learned how to play poker in this season of like kind of not being where I thought I'd be. I started learning a lot about gardening. I took up the hobby of gardening, started learning more about like the women's health system and hormones and things like that, like stuff that was just interesting to me. I just was like, how can I, I have this time where I thought I'd be here, but instead I'm here. So I don't love it. I can't wait to get out of it. But while I'm in it, what can I do to make the most of it and to prepare for the next season. And in that way, it wasn't like I just went and made a nursery because that would be triggering and upsetting, but I am developing myself. I started going to therapy. I learned new things. I started serving, like traveled. Like, so I guess my point is like using that metaphor of like making it a little less miserable, doing those things in your life when you find yourself in the season of like, mm, not where I thought I'd be. That's I think how you avoid this complacency that you mentioned. It's, it's actively looking for things that can help you grow and move you along on the journey and make the journey a little less miserable, even when you're not you wanted to be. Yeah. And that kind of, that kind of answered my, my, the last question I was going to ask you is like, how do you know, like when it's time to actually just give up on a dream? Like, how do you know that it's not your ego talking? How do you know when this is actually your soul, your heart? Like, how do you know? And you kind of just like touched on that. I guess like the last question I want to ask you now with that said is the show's called the adversity advantage. And part of what I like to try and teach people to do is like, even though you're going through challenging times, it doesn't change the fact that what you're going through isn't hard, right? It doesn't change that at all. But there are certain things you can do to help set yourself up to position yourself to be in a, a better version of yourself on the other side, whenever that time is, right? And I know one of the things that, that you you talk about is finding clarity during moments of adversity. You talked about how you got clarity of what success looked like for you. Like, but what are, what are some ways that like when maybe things aren't 
so tragic in your life when you're actually just you're just having a bad day or something goes wrong in your business like like how do you what steps do you take to find clarity in that so that you can use that to um, move yourself forward in a way that's like aligned with your highest self i think there's three critical questions to ask and i think these can be asked either when some sort of tragic event throws you off course or just when you're like I don't feel like life is quite how I want it to be. But the first is, what do I really want? The second question, which is the most critical is why? And the third is, okay, how am I going to steward that? Not how am I going to get it? Because I think a lot of times we think like A plus B equals C. And sometimes that's true. But sometimes you do all the right things and you still lose multiple babies or something goes wrong or you know your employee quits or whatever. There's a lot out of our control. So I think ultimately first coming back to, okay, what am I working toward again? Because we get really clouded when we get real busy real fast and we lose sight of that. So what do I really want out of this whole deal? Whether it's a work thing or a relationship or like, what do I really want? Why do I want that? And that has to be answered. If you can't answer why you should hold on and pursuing whatever it is you're doing. So let's say you have a bad day in your business and you come back to, okay, what do I really want? And what you say is, well, I want to earn $200,000 this year so I can quit my you know full-time job and do this full-time. Okay, great. That's a why. But if you say, I want to earn $2,000 this year because my neighbor did that or because it sounds good or because I need to outdo what I did last year, that's a horrible reason to do it. Like, Not that you don't want to challenge yourself, but you're not basing that on anything purposeful. And so it's going to be real hard to steward when things get hard. So I think that's where the clarity comes in. When you start getting running into roadblocks and obstacles, go back to those questions of what do I really want out of this and why? And then how can I steward it? And how can I take a different angle? How can I adjust my approach? Because if I keep that in mind, I'm going to have the determination to keep going versus if it's like... Well, I don't know. I just think I'm supposed to because it sounds good. I said I was going to. Like, that's not going to be a reason to stick with something. So that even kind of touches on the, the question you had mentioned earlier. Like, how do you know when it's time to quit or take a break or whatever? Like, come back to why am I doing what I'm doing? And that will always give you the at least will point your compass a little bit more of like, okay, maybe I need to adjust a little bit this way or pause this activity because it's really taking away from this main goal and objective that I have. And for this reason, so those three key questions, I think are like, they recenter us, they ground us, they bring us back to a place of clarity when it feels like there's chaos and it feels like everything's spinning around and there's things that are out of our control. It just kind of recenters us and helps us get a little bit direct of, of clarity and direction on even the next right step. Maybe not the whole path. It may not be like, here's what you need to do. And here's the, you know, grand red carpet, but at least it gives you, okay, this is the next right step I need to take because this is the direction I need to go based off of what I just answered. So it may seem cliche, but I think it's really, for me, whether it's a tragedy or even just a bad day, coming back to those questions, recenter me and help me make really informed decisions about what I'm saying yes to, what I'm no, saying no to, and the things that I'm taking on. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I mean, the, the best way to understand what you're going through and how to get through on the other side is to ask yourself, like questions, right? And then hopefully the, the better questions you ask, the better answers you're going to get. And that can be a process that's, that's super repeatable, like you just said, whenever you're going through something challenging. Jordan Lee Dooley, this has been awesome. I think people are going to get a lot of value out of our conversation. They're going to want to check out your podcast. They're going to want to buy your books. They're going to want to follow you online. Like, Where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, well, I'm pretty embarrassingly easy to find on the internet. So you can find me on Instagram at Jordan Lee Dooley or jordanleedooley.com. And my podcast is called She. So for all the women in your life, if you are not a woman or anything like that, we talk about all things wellness and work and how those things drive together and all of that. So yeah, you can find my podcast, She, um, anywhere podcasts are found. And then my books, Own Your Everyday and Embrace Your Almost, anywhere books are sold. Sweet. Well, I'll make sure to include all that stuff in the show notes. And for those that are listening, what I want you to do is to share a takeaway. 
Maybe it was something that Jordan said about when her faith was tested, like how she handled that. Maybe it was something she said about how she's learned to dream again with, with having a baby. Or maybe it was something she just said about like how to find clarity when you're going through moments of adversity. Whatever it was, um, tag Jordan and tag myself because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we'll see you next time.